0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you and welcome to the show Dark Fantasy was a horror suspense thriller old-time radio program that consisted of 31 short episodes that aired from November 21st of 41 till June 19th of 42, broadcasting from station WKY in Oklahoma City. Although the anthology barely made a year of airtime, it managed to capture a huge audience due to the creepy and disturbing nature of its narratives. Each story in the series dealt with the secrets of the unknown, ranging anywhere from bone-chilling tales from the crypt science fiction, and murder mysteries. The stories found a nationwide audience almost immediately. In the golden age of radio, dark fantasy was the breath of fresh air that revived interest in the horror genre. Also known for his work on The Mysterious Traveler and The Sealed Book, Scott Bishop managed to merge the supernatural with science fiction and injected it with a twist of old-fashioned folklore. As old radio shows went, dark fantasy was way ahead of its time. The spine tingling adventures in the dark fantasy anthology will be heard in just a couple of minutes, but it got me to think why is it that thousands of people will soon rush to theaters or settle in on their couches to indulge in various Halloween esque horror films ready to scream and be startled? Some people loathe scary movies. They'd rather watch paint dry or go to the dentist than willingly sit through a program that's designed to terrify and keep you awake all night. Turns out, the aversion to horror movies isn't just a personal preference, it's a psychological need. Some people are just wired to react differently to this type of content. And while there's no one-size-fits-all answer for why some people get a thrill out of horror films or listen to scary programs on the radio and some don't, there are a few possible explanations. Now, here's a breakdown according to experts and research on the subject. People who love scary movies experience stress differently. Individuals who are more sensation-seeking may gravitate towards scary movies because of how they interpret the body's reaction to stress. That according to Margie Kerr, a sociologist who studies fear, and she's the author of Scream, Chilling Adventures in the Science of Fear. A fear-inducing movie will kick a person's heart rate into high gear, and make the body feel as though it needs to expend energy. Some might make a positive meaning out of that. They feel really alive or grounded within their bodies, almost like how you feel after a really intense yoga class or something that focuses all attention into your body. According to Curve, for some people, they might interpret that almost like a panic attack, where they're feeling a sense of loss or control over their body, uh, what it's doing. Now, People who hate them might be highly sensitive. Highly sensitive people, or HSPs, can easily be overstimulated by their environment and also tend to be more empathetic to than the average person. This means they may have a different or more intense psychological reaction to violent or scary movies. People who had positive experiences when they were young with what researchers call fun-scary an experience that startles but doesn't contribute to real fear, already have an internal concept that frames certain scary activities in an exciting way. So Kerr went on to explain, if their parents expose them to just the right amount or the kind of fun as a kid, so not taking them to see a movie written by Stephen King, for example, and before they have a good idea of what kind of monsters are real or not, exposing them to roller coasters really too early... That can impact whether people will like the whole genre or not. Some people view scary movies as a way to connect with others. Horror movies are enjoyable for some people when they're shared with loved ones. It can be really a wonderful social bonding experience, Kerr says. We do know that the bonds we make under stress often are more intense, especially with people we already have a a positive association with, so... If you're going to go out with your friends and you do something fun and intense and scary, you end up forming a more layered, rich memory. In other words, whether or not a person likes watching a creepy clown on the big screen all depends on a confluence of factors, most of which are slightly out of their control. And so, on which side of the fence do you sit? The scaredy cat or the adventuresome? Well, here we go then with Dark Fantasy.
2: Cigarette that's first in the service presents from the 6th Ferrying Group Air Transport Command at Long Beach, California, the Abbott and Costello program. <laughs> With the music of Lee his orchestra, the songs of and the Channel 5, tonight's guest is Merle Oberon and starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello.
3: Oh, come on, what's the matter with you, Costello? Hey, Abbott, I want to ask you a very personal question. What is it? Do you think I'm fat? Well, I'd say you were on the plump side. Why do you ask? Well, I was over by one of those big hangers. I was standing next to a blimp. All of a sudden, an officer points to me and says, Look, they're making them with faces now. (laughs)
4: Oh, he was just
3: kidding. You know, there's nobody that has a better sense of humor than a flying man. I know that too, Abbott, because I'm a flying man myself. What do you mean? I started flying when I was a six-month-old baby. You flew when you were a baby? Yep. I flew out of my nurse's arms and made a perfect one-point landing. (laughs) No, no. You mean three-point? No, one point. My safety pin was open. (laughs) Costello, I don't believe you've ever been up in the air. Oh, yes, I have. I used to be a hostess. Well, you walked into that one, my friend. (laughs) For your information... Plane hostesses are always female. This was a male plane.
4: <laughs>
3: tell me, Costello, when was the last time you were up in the plane? Do you want the truth or my version?
4: Oh, no, 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 no.
3: I want the truth. I think we'd get more laughs the other way. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> tell the truth. Okay, I'll tell the truth. All right. I took my first plane ride today. Captain Dick Lasseter took me up in a great big plane. Try motor. Try what? I said try motor. Certainly we tried the motor. <laughs> What do you think we did? Push it? <laughs> nah, skip it. I'm not going to get it up right. in the air and then All fly right. it. All right, forget about it. See, forget about the motor? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. The other thing. By the way, what kind of a pilot is he? Was he flying blind? <sighs> no, nah, he was perfectly sober.
4: <laughs> <laughs> what
3: a dope. Of course he was sober. Well, never mind that. You know, Lou, I wonder what these boys down here at Long Beach do when they go on leave. Well, I saw a bunch of the boys down at the beach with their girlfriends. Did they go down there to spoon? Well, they didn't go down there to wash their
4: socks. (laughs) Well, here's
3: Ken Niles. I've been waiting to see you, Ken. I was wondering what your wife thought of the picture we made last week. That's right, Niles. What does she think of my acting? Well, I don't
2: mind telling you that she absolutely raved. She raved, eh? Yeah. They took her away the next morning. (laughs) What's so funny about that?
3: Did you make that up yourself? Yeah, out of my head. You certainly are.
4: (laughs) Uh, I up. hate that well, guy.
3: I know you do, but quit arguing, Costello. I, I want to hear more about the picture. Uh, did you read any reviews, Ken?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, sure. The Drugus Weekly gave the picture four aspirins. So...
3: <laughs> see what happens, do not you? He's got the band framed out. sally has got the band framed. That wasn't a funny line. No. There was nothing no <laughs> funny about that, brother. Can you imagine that? Listen, Ken, I read all the reviews. And even Mrs. Roosevelt mentioned our picture in her column. What did she say? She said... My day was ruined. Right.
4: <laughs> That's
3: the one line I don't know why they got it look, in. Yeah, uh, wait a minute, look. <laughs> Lou, <Look. laughs> didn't we get any compliments at all? Oh, sure. We got one cheer that I remember. Uh, where from? The Bronx. The Bronx? <laughs> you know, in Hitler's face without music. Oh yeah. Well, maybe we should give up the idea of producing our own pictures, though. Don't you be silly. No, Perfume Pictures Incorporated is here to stay And I'm ready to start another picture right now Push the button for my secretary. Okay. Hey, hey! What's the idea of a horn for a buzzer? She used to be a waitress and a driver.
4: Oh!
5: Oh, boss, I'm sorry it was late this morning.
3: Are you doing anything tonight?
5: Why, yeah, uh, no, not a thing. Then try and get here on time tomorrow morning. <laughs>
3: the fine secretary. How did you get a job here?
5: I used to be in pitches. I played in the way of all flesh. What
3: part did you play?
6: One of the meatballs. Everybody gets laughs but me. All right. Have
3: patience, have patience. By the way, do I have any appointments today?
5: Uh, yes, sir. At 12 o'clock, you have an appointment with Hetty Lamar.
3: What am I doing after that?
5: Me, he asked.
1: Mr.
3: Costello, could I speak to you for a moment? Why, it's Botts for Twink, our sound What's on your mind, Botts? Well, I want you to know that I was terribly hurt because I wasn't in your picture last week with Carmen Miranda. After all, if you're looking for new faces, look at me. My face is new, isn't it? Oh, very new. In fact, your whole head has only been slightly used. (laughs) Please give me a chance, Mr. Costello. I really do have a lot of talent. You know, I do most of the voices in all the Leon Schlesinger cartoons for Warner Brothers. Don't tell me. Yeah, for instance, here's a little Porky Pig. This is the way I talk When I play porky Porky That's all I'll play porky for you for a thousand dollars What are you talking about? Warner Brothers don't pay you that I know, but pork has gone up
4: (laughs) What
3: else do you do, Butsford? Oh, did you ever hear Bugs Bunny? I have a carrot here, so I'll give you a little sample. Uh, what's up, Doc?
4: <laughs> uh, uh,
3: what do you say, Chubby? What's cooking, huh? Of course, if you use Bugs Bunny, you'll have to use my wife, Mrs. Bunny. But we can't use two rabbits in our picture. Well, we couldn't separate them. That would be splitting hairs.
4: <laughs> Well, if you
3: can't use the rabbit, maybe I could furnish some of the musical background. I can imitate an electric organ. Listen.
4: He's <laughs> oh,
3: clever, ain't he? Do you call it an organ? Now listen, Bosford. I can't use any of that stuff in my picture. Now, will you get out of here? Now look, no. now, look what you did. Now, look what you did. Now, look what you did. Every time you yell at me, yell at me, yell at me, I he gets guess I... Well, when you yell at <laughs> me, he gets that. Why do you that? yell? At, how did I, did I know that? I know that? When I talk loud, he gets the hiccups. Did I know that? Well, don't yell at him. Do something for the potfella. Please, Botsford. I said, talk nice to him. but I'm talking low and easy. Now, take it easy. No more hiccups. That brings him out of it. That brings him out of it. I didn't know that. All right. Take it easy. How do you feel? better now. Uh Oh, you do? I feel fine. Oh, I'm not <laughs> glad of that of it. Now let's get back to this picture. But Mr. Costello, are you sure you can't use the organ? Botsford, how many times do I have to tell you that I'm not putting it? Please. I <laughs> <on him> again, didn't <laughs> yeah. I don't, you I don't see
4: what I you? know what I'm doing. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, my...
2: And the Camel Five with a new treatment for an old tune by the light of the silvery moon.
3: can't hold up production on your new picture any longer. Now, we've got to get a leading lady. How about giving that secretary of yours a chance? She has blue eyes, blonde hair, and a Supreme Court figure. What do you mean, a Supreme Court figure? A Supreme Court figure? Uh, what do you no do- appeal
4: uh, <laughs>
3: Besides, I phoned Merle O'Bron about playing a leading card. You did? Yes. I picked up the receiver and I said, Merle, darling. Merle, sweetheart. Merle, my love. And then? Then I dialed her number. Merle O'Bron? Merle, over on, we'll be our picture. You know, and I I sent for a new fashion designer. What is this that just popped in here? Look, what happened? Well, now, wait a minute. I sent for a new uh, fashion designer. I, is that it? Yes. Now he's in. Come in. <laughs> Good evening, gentlemen. I'm your new fashion designer. Uh, Pierre, you, Pierre. <laughs> to my friends, I'm P.U.
4: <laughs> you
3: said it, brother. Hey, get a load of that guy's hair. He's a male Veronica Lake. <laughs> Pierre, this is Lou Costello. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Costello? Thank you, sir. Uh, you are just the man I'm looking at. I've not seen you any long distance.
4: <laughs> get the
3: way his hair hangs over his face. Pardon me, Pierre. Was your mother ever scared by a sheepdog?
4: Oh, come on.
3: Sir. Leave the man alone. We've got to get him to design Miss Oberon's clothes. Now, no more remarks about his hair. Looks like a palm tree in a high wind, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, Mr. Costello, I admit that my hair is a standing joke. Well, it needs a new switch.
4: <laughs>
3: I don't know what's wrong there. Keep quiet. <laughs> we must have Miss O'Brien's uh, wardrobe design before she gets here. Pierre, huh? would you mind telling us some of your ideas on women's clothes? Oh, not at all. Uh, you know, the main thing is color harmony. Color harmony? Mm-hmm. What's that? Well, it's very simple, Mr. Costello. For instance, if uh, you were carrying a pink bag... You would not wear a green dress, would you? Oh, gracious, no! I wouldn't dare!
1: <laughs> Why,
3: well, I'd be the laughing stock of my sewing circle. All right, come on, never right.
4: mind. What kind of line is that never to get me oh, a <laughs> Forget it. Skip those
3: things. Come here, Pierre. Now, uh, with a shortage of materials, how about something plain for Miss Obron to wear? Uh, we'll call it a uh, defense dress. How about that? How about making that out of barbed wire? That isn't a fence. It ain't exactly an invitation. No. <laughs> Go ahead, Pierre. Suggest a dress for Merle O'Brien. Uh, you know, something that she can wear in our picture. Well, uh, being a brunette, I would suggest that I make Miss Oberon a gown of apple green with a peach skirt, a lemon trimmings, a plum ruffles, an orange belt, and a tangerine scarf. <laughs> hey, a dress, that's a fruit salad.
4: <laughs>
3: Nevertheless, that sounds fine. Now, what about Merle's hat? Well, the hat should be a very simple but very smart. Uh, do you think the boys in camp here would like me Brun in a hat that has three roses and a ribbon on the side? Huh? No, they'd rather have four roses with a chaser on the side.
4: <laughs> now,
3: get out of here, and I'll design the clothes myself. Oh, Costello, you can't design clothes. Is that so? I just invented a lady's leg paint that takes the place of stockings. It even covers the knees. It disguises the knees? You said it. You can hardly recognize the old joints. Oh. <laughs> Well, we let Merle O'Bron design her own clothes for the picture. What do you say? Yes, and I'm just the girl who can do it. Now, listen, kid. You keep out of this. Look who it is. It's Merle
4: O'Bron. Oh. Oh.
5: Merle,
3: I'm overjoyed.
5: I'm overcome. Uh, I, I'm
3: overwhelmed.
5: Uh, uh, I'm over here.
3: <laughs> Merle, I've always been in love with you. <laughs> You're so beautiful. Can I give you a kiss?
5: Well, all right, but just one.
4: (laughs) Lou, where did you
6: learn to kiss like that?
3: I used to be a bugler in a Boy Scout.
4: (laughs)
6: Now, look,
3: if you folks don't mind, we'll go over the script of the picture that you are going to play tonight. It's a story of the knights of old. Merle, you play a beautiful princess. And you wear a hoop skirt. A hoop skirt? Yeah, hoop skirt. That's a parachute with legs.
4: <laughs>
3: Costello plays the part of a knight. He's in love with you.
5: I thought knights were tall.
3: Well, kid, on account of daylight saving time, the nights are getting shorter.
4: <laughs>
5: As the
3: first scene opens, Merle, you're in the palace. So we need the arrival of your lover. You are playing the organ. Organ like this? <laughs> oh, Botsford, didn't I tell you that you couldn't be in this picture? Hey, don't do that I Oh, I at it again. You I started it again. Started started again. Started all, well, don't don't shout at him. him. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Got got I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. To all right. I'm sorry. I'm no, talking. nice, Relax. Take it easy. All right, Botsford. Shout at him anymore? I'm talking nice. How easy can I tell I'm okay. I'm sorry, Botsford. i sorry. I'm okay now, Mr. Costello. Oh, I'm glad you are. Now, keep out of the picture. You did it again. Don't yell at me. Please. I'm sorry. Will you you please put a gag in his mouth? Put a gag in his mouth? If I had a gag, I'd tell it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, let's get back to this story. Costello, as a knight, your costume is a suit of armor.
5: That's right, Lou. You wear an iron coat, an iron vest, and iron trousers. In fact, you wear a whole iron suit.
3: Where do I get pressed at Lockheed?
5: <laughs> now your suit may become rusty, so you better keep yourself well oiled.
3: I'd have to be oiled to make love to you in an iron suit. <laughs> Merle, you walk out on the balcony. Yes, and I sneak right up to it.
5: How'd you get across
3: the moat? I caught the guard with his bridges down. <laughs> then we have the big scene where Costello serenades you with a song of love.
5: And Lou, I will drop a flower on you.
3: In a mad moment of love?
5: No. In a pot. (laughs) Now, Merle,
3: you signal that the coast is clear. And Costello, you climb the balcony. You reach Merle's side. You're panting from the long climb in that suit of armor. Yes, that's it. You gaze into her eyes. Remember, this is your big chance. Never mind no more pants. Never mind that. There's emotion in (laughs) your voice. As you stand there in your iron suit, what do you say to her? Hey, kid, have you got a can opener?
6: Here's
2: Connie Haynes with the Camel Five with a new room up with the fan of Cole Porter. Hasta luego.
6: In a small cantina on an island far Signorita Lena sang a song to a hot guitar, all the ding-dong dandies used to gather about, when the lovely Lena, Lady Vina, would give in and give up. Married Lena and her rich old guy Moved to Pasadena, where the best people go to die But when she'd collected all his copper preferred Back to her cantina, lovely Lena went flying As she purred, her to a go
2: gentlemen, Perfume Pictures Incorporated presents the great costume drama entitled The Brave Knight Cut Off the Dragon's Tail, or The Dragon Isn't Wagon Anymore. <laughs> the beautiful Princess Guinevere is played by Merle Oberon. Lou Costello is the brave knight, Sir Porterhouse, and Bud Abbott is his good friend, Sir Lloyd. I play the part of the king. <laughs> As the scene opens, the princess and I await the arrival of two brave knights in our kingdom. Curtain? Greetings, brave knights. Kindly approach the throne. Greetings, your majesty. I am Sir Lyme, Knight
3: of the Bath, from Saxony. And I am Sir Porterhouse, Knight of the Bath, from Constantinople. What a...
5: What kind of worse did I give you?
3: Constantinople?
5: Yes, yeah,
3: Turkish bath.
5: Greetings, brave knights. I am the Princess Guinevere.
3: And who are those beautiful dames with you?
5: They are my ladies in waiting.
3: Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Quiet, Castello.
5: Oh, Sir Porterhouse, you must save our kingdom. The people are angry. They're clamoring outside the gates of the palace. Just listen to them clamor. Clamor clamor, uh, clamor, clamor, clamor.
4: Clamor.
2: Did you hear that? The people are revolting. They certainly are.
5: No, no. No, no, the people are starving. They have not eaten in five days.
3: Oh, they should try and force themselves.
5: They've got
4: to yeet.
3: What, my dear princess? Have we no food?
5: Alas, no. The dragon has destroyed our crops.
3: You mean all our corn is gone?
5: Yes, there's only enough left for this program. What's so funny about that?
2: What a fresh princess. Listen, listen to the people shouting. They have been shouting for five days, but I dare not speak to them. I will speak to the people, your majesty. Open the door. I'll make a speech.
3: Now, my dear princess, just what do you desire us to do?
5: My dear knight, for several years now, my father has been bothered by a terrible dragon.
3: Why doesn't he pick up his feet?
2: <laughs> you don't understand.
4: <laughs> you don't understand. Nobody understood
2: that. Today, the dragon is coming to carry off the princess Guinevere.
5: You must save me from this mean monster, Sir Porterhouse. He's a very mean beast. Okay, kid. He has two heads, one at each end. How does he sit down? He can't. That's what makes him so mean.
3: Well, don't be mean. Uh, don't worry, Princess. All right, I'm allowed one mistake, eh? I? I am not afraid of nothing. One time I climbed up a tree and I bagged a ferocious tiger.
5: You went up a tree after a tiger? No! He came up after me!
3: But you said you bagged him. I did bag him. I bagged him to go away, but he wouldn't. And
4: what happened?
3: Well, I snapped at the tiger, the tiger snapped at me, and suddenly something whizzed past me. What was it? Pomona. Pomona? Pomona. <laughs> Talk sense, will you? Then my uncle came to my rescue, and I finally brought that tiger home stuffed. What was he stuffed with? My uncle. <laughs> Oh, your majesty, the dragon is almost upon us. He's coming to get the princess. Quick, princess. Button up my iron suit.
4: (laughs) Wait a minute. minute. Just
5: a minute.
3: I thought you were a princess.
5: I work the swing shift on the side.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Costello, look at that thing belching smoke and fire. Is that the dragon? It ain't a smudge pot.
4: I'm
3: getting out of here.
5: too late. He's got us trapped.
3: (laughs) Here. Here he comes. Now, do what he does. Do exactly what he does. Right. He's staring at you. Stare back at him. I can't. All oh, right. I can't do it. Quiet. <laughs> he's roaring at you. Roar back at him. <laughs> That'll scare <laughs> him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now he's wagging his tail. That lets me out. <laughs> Look out. Look out. He's going to charge. He's going to charge. How much? Oh. Oh.
4: Josh, quick. Grab him. Grab
6: him. i have it
3: there's a fancy line.
4: Where's the gullet? by <laughs> the gullet. What? what?
3: The gullet? Gullet? The dragon's neck? Let him next. What do I care about their love life?
4: <laughs> Give me my sword.
3: Give me my sword, somebody. I'll cut his nose off.
4: But how will <laughs> he smell?
3: That is something that should only interest another dragon.
5: Look <laughs> out! He's coming
3: at you. Be careful, Costello. Your back is turned to him. He's
5: coming up behind you.
4: <laughs> oh, you're oh, you're time. Time. Oh.
3: Uh, he got me. Where did he get you? Well, if I was wearing a license plate, he would have got off the last three numbers.
4: <laughs>
3: hey, he ruined my suit. My good iron suit he ruined. You nasty dragon. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Don't get uh, me. what a <laughs> How, I do the... yes, How can I do that. the... How can I do the... I can't do the... Now, stop. Okay. Stop. What okay. can I do to keep your quiet, I Will I you quiet, Botsford? <laughs> I'm o-
5: sorry. And it's your own fault for hollering at
3: him. There's only one only one thing that'll cure my hiccups. If you let me kiss Miss Oberon.
5: Oh, very well. I'll kiss you. If only you'll stop those awful hiccups.
3: Go ahead, Botsford. Kiss her. Okay. <laughs> um, how do you feel now, Botsford?
4: Oh, I
7: feel fine.
5: But <laughs> what? <laughs>
2: Abbott and Lou Costello with
3: a final word. Thanks, Ken. Ladies and gentlemen, it's really been a thrill for Bud and me to do this program from the Ferry and Command Air Base here at Long Beach. And an added thrill to be here with Merle Oberon.
5: Thank you, Lou. I had a wonderful time and it's been lots of fun.
3: That's right, Merle. And we'd like to extend our sincere thanks to Colonel Ralph E. Spake, Lieutenant Colonel John P. Frame, Jr., and their splendid staff of officers for the opportunity to make this visit. Next week, we'll be back in Hollywood on Thanksgiving Day. In addition to the regular gang, we'll have as our guest, Herbert Marshall. And we do hope you'll all join us. Until next Thursday, Bud and I wish you all a very pleasant good night. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
2: The Candles present four great shows each week night, the Camel Caravan with Lanny Ross, Xavier Cougat, Herb Schreiner, Lou Lair, and their guest star, Bob Hope. Saturday night, thanks to the Yanks, with Bob Hawke. Monday night, Blondie, and next Thursday at the same time, Abbott and Costello with their guest, Herbert Marshall. Our broadcast this evening was from the 6th Ferrying Group, Air Transport Command at Long Beach, and does not constitute an endorsement of our product by the War Department, as they do not endorse any product. The Army has also requested us to make this announcement to all men of 18 and 19. There is a serious need for young men, so serious that the Army is willing to let men of 18 and 19 choose whatever branch of service they desire. Go to your nearest Army recruiting office or induction station tomorrow. Learn about the jobs the Army has open in 13 different branches, all explained by men who know these jobs inside and out. Listen to The Camel Caravan tomorrow night with Manny Ross, Xavier Cugat, Herb Schreiner, Lou Lair, and their guest star, Bob Hope. And now this is Ken Niles wishing you all good night.
1: Stay tuned for Abbott and Costello next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Their work on radio and film and television made them the most popular comedy team of the 40s and early 50s. Their patter routine, Who's on First?, is one of the best-known comedy routines of all time in the world and set the framework for many of their best-known comedy bits. The duo built an act by refining and reworking numerous burlesque sketches with Abbott as the devious straight man and Costello as the dim-witted comic. The team's first known radio broadcast was on the Kate Smith Hour, February 3rd of 1938. Now, at first, the similarities between their voices made it difficult for radio audiences, as opposed to stage audiences, to tell them apart during their rapid-fire repartee. So, as a result, Costello affected a high-pitched, childish voice. Who's on first was first performed for a national radio audience the following month. They performed on the program as regulars for two years— while also landing roles in a Broadway review, The Streets of Paris, in 1939. In 1940, Universal Studios signed them for a musical, One Night in the Tropics. Now, they were cast in supporting roles, but they stole the show with several classic routines, including Who's On First. Universal signed them to a two-picture contract, their second film, Buck Privates in 1941, directed by Arthur Lubin, and also co-starring the Andrew Sisters, was a massive hit, earning $4 million at the box office and launching Abbott and Costello as stars. Their next film was a haunted house comedy, o Charlie. However, Buck Privates was so successful that the studio decided to delay its release so the team could hastily make and release a second-service comedy in the Navy in 1941, co-starring crooner Dick Powell and the Andrews sisters. This film initially outgrossed Buck Privates. Lowe's Criterion Manhattan was open until 5 a.m. to oblige over 49,000 customers during the film's first week. Now, all of these films were big hits, and Abbott and Costello were voted the third biggest box office attraction in the country in 1941. So, now here are Bud Abbott and Lou Costello... And the episode entitled Knights in Shining Armor.
8: Dark fantasy. I
9: would like to buy a section, if you please. There that one in the corner would do the scarlet one you see scarlet is my favorite color because it reminds me so very much of blood <laughs>
10: Know what I came about, Sam.
8: Sit down. Do you
10: have a smoke?
8: Yes, of course.
10: Do you think Mr. Craig knows what we're doing?
8: I believe he suspects.
10: What are your plans?
8: Tonight Peter Craig will sign over the last of the estate to me.
10: And when do I get the money you promised me? Within a week. Why that wait that long?
8: Because it's the best that way. You should wait longer. Would not do for the private nurse Rose Esther to become suddenly rich overnight.
10: You remember the price, don't you?
8: $100,000.
10: I should have more. You are netting a cool million. The deal
8: was all right with you when I made it.
10: Yes. Yes, it's all right. What time tonight?
8: About eleven. And he's good and sleepy. We'll take the powder without suspecting.
10: You said he already suspects.
8: Not everything. He doesn't know we give him dope to make his mind go blank. We can be pretty sure of that.
10: Or that he signs those legal papers while under the influence of the drug.
8: He couldn't possibly know that. He's been taking medicine for so many years. When you hold a glass of it in front of him, he takes it automatically.
10: He has one more paper to sign? One more. I'll give him the powder the minute you come into the house tonight.
8: After that, disappear. Yes,
10: I will. But remember, Sam, I expect my share of the money within a week. I think I've been quite patient with you since we went into this thing. It wouldn't be wise for me to become suddenly impatient. <laughs>
9: Mr. William. Sit down, sit down. Thank you, Mr. Craig. Nurse. Hand me my glasses on that table over there. I can't see a thing without my glasses.
10: Your medicine, Mr. Craig. Eh?
9: Medicine. Oh I
8: oh, Thank you, Nice. Now you get my glasses.
10: Oh, here they are. Do you wish warm milk before going to bed tonight?
9: Warm milk? No, no, not on your life. And don't you go locking my lavatory tonight. I'm going to tinker around in there a bit as soon as Mr. Willard leaves. Yes, sir. Just ring if you need anything, Mr. Craig.
8: You look well, sir.
9: i never felt better in my life.
8: Now, what's on your mind at this hour of the night? Well, Mr. Craig, I've been handling your legal affairs for... Quite some time now. Yes, 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 you, yes, you have. uh, Seven years, I believe. That's so. This afternoon I stumbled upon something that absolutely astounded me. And what was that? I happened upon the deed to your estate. I noticed it had never been turned over to you in a legal manner. (laughs) Well, it's a small technicality, but I thought I should advise you about it. Have you done anything about it? Why, yes, yes, I have. That's why I came out tonight. I have the papers with me. Put everything in perfect order. Uh, I say, Mr. Craig, is something wrong? No, 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 I. I'm just
9: uh, sleepy. I I better sign the paper now. Yes, sir. I think you'd better.
8: Here, Mr. Craig. On this line right here.
9: Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah?
8: That's right. That's all, Mr. Crane. Thank you very much. This is just exactly what we needed. Just exactly.
9: Nurse! Oh no! They know better than to leave me here in darkness. Nurse. Right. Come here. Come here at once. She's not here. She's gone. She's gone. And left me. And she's to die. So still. Left me here. Die. no, I can't stand darkness. And, you know, I, I can be left alone. I you know,
4: my. You know, my heart. Ah. Uh, uh.
8: To my man Alex Monroe, I bequeath the sum of $5,000. This is my will. All that remains, aside from the foregoing, is for Mr. Samuel Willard, my attorney, to carry out the duties I already have it outlined to him. Herewith, the test by hand. Peter Craig. And that is Mr. Craig's will. I wish to assure you that the last portion... Portion concerning the duties involving myself have been carried out. They have to do with the funeral itself and the preparations for the funeral. I wish to thank each of you for coming here tonight to hear the reading of Mr. Craig's will. You will each receive your individual shares of the estate in the next two weeks. Now, good evening. Well, Rose.
10: They took it quite well.
8: Why shouldn't they? After all, they were only his servants. He had no relatives. It didn't strike any of them as strange that Craig should have left the bulk of the estate to me.
10: You played your cards very well, didn't you? Yeah, I think so.
8: The smartest thing was giving the servants a share.
10: Now yes. I. Right. I suppose I'll receive my share. Yeah, of course. Within a week. Good. Would you mind answering a question for me? I know. What is it? Those instructions about the funeral. I saw nothing unusual about them.
8: There wasn't anything
10: unusual. But just what were these secret instructions Mr. Craig left for you in a sealed envelope marked to be read immediately following my passing?
8: Oh, that. He just stated he wished to be buried in the family vault. But there was something strange at that. Mm -hmm. He directed me to his laboratory, a certain compartment where I found a box wrapped in brown paper and tied with a heavy cord. He instructed that this box was to be buried with him.
10: And was it?
8: Yes, I had it placed in a coffin.
10: Do you know what was in the box?
8: Yes. I don't mind saying I was curious, so I opened the package. Well it wasn't anything worthwhile at all. Just a couple of pounds of modeling clay.
10: Modeling
8: clay? Yes. What in the world do you think his idea was in wanting to be buried with such an insignificant thing as modeling clay?
7: way, please, Professor White. Uh, thanks, Mr. Willard. Peter Craig, as I've told you, was an old friend of mine. I, I certainly was surprised to arrive here and learn he had passed on. Yes, we buried him last Thursday. Mr. Craig had no relatives. I didn't know the names of any of his friends, and that's why you weren't notified. Mm-hmm. I, I once worked with Mr. Craig at Oxford. He could have been a professor there, had he wished. Professor? Mm-hmm.
8: Uh, here. Down these steps.
7: Yes, he was quite an electrical engineer. Worked miracles almost with wires and tubes and batteries, condensers, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
8: Well, I knew he liked to fuss around in his laboratory. I've only been inside the place once. Didn't know
7: he was a master of any particular science. Oh, yes, indeed. He was one in a million. Always experimenting. Always trying some new idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we are. This is Mr. Craig's laboratory. I, I see. This wax
8: on the door. Oh, that? Uh, the police sealed the place up when they were investigating the death of Peter Craig. Investigating? Yes. Mr. Craig died unattended. Heart attack. He fell and struck his head. At first, the police feared foul play.
7: Oh, I see.
8: Oh, I suppose it'll be quite all right to break the seal now. Oh, certainly. We've forgotten all about it. Uh, there we are. Now. I'll go first, Professor White. Light switch is very inconveniently
7: placed. Okay, sir. What you wanted to see. Yes, sir. Just as I thought. Table after table and shelf after shelf of electrical equipment.
8: Seems pretty much of a mess to me. <laughs> Poor old Peter Gray. He never was
7: very tidy.
8: I came in here the day the police were around just before they sealed the room up. I've never been here before. All these wires and electrical panels and tubes and things give me the creep. Well,
7: Craig certainly could put weird contraptions together. He
8: spent many hours here. I believe his experiments were the only things that gave him a desire to keep on living.
7: Mm. Say, uh, here's a strange-looking workbench over here.
8: What do you mean, Professor?
7: Well, a look for yourself here. See, the tabletop is littered with short lengths of almost invisible copper wires and with little bits of fresh putty. Putty? No, it's not pretty. It's... it's modeling clay. You... Yes, yeah, you're right. Yes, and here's a cardboard box of the stuff. That, that box, the brown paper, this heavy cord... Yeah, why, well, it appears that there was a great deal more of the clay in this box. You can see that a good portion of it has been torn away from the original mass. It's the same box. The very same one I put into the casket. What? What
8: could Peter Craig have been doing with modeling clay and thin copper wires?
7: Mr. Willard. Yes? Is that the only entrance to this laboratory, the uh, the one the police sealed? Well,
8: yes, it is. No windows, no other door.
7: Yet that uh, that seal was unbroken. We both saw it was. Yeah, but look here on this on this workbench here, these bits of clay, still moist, not dry and hardened like they'd be if they'd if they'd lain here long. Uh, and this hand towel here. Look at it. Damp. As though someone had just recently dried his hands on it. Mr. Willard.
8: What's this? Do you know? A locket on a golden chain. Where did you find it?
7: Oh, here on the floor, near the wall over there. This picture is a child inside. You know what's in the locket without opening it? Yes.
8: It was Peter Craig's request that he be buried with this locket
7: in his hands.
10: Hello. Yes. Yes, this is Rolester. Who wishes to see me, clerk? Well, if he won't give his name, I certainly am not interested. He said to tell me he's the man with the scarlet satchel. The scarlet satchel. Oh. No, I... I don't wish to see him. Send him away, please. Tell him to go away. Tell him to go away. Peter Craig.
9: Good evening, my dear.
10: You, the man with...
9: With the scarlet sedge.
10: I remember when you bought it. You took me with you. And when I suggested a black or brown colored bag, you said...
9: I said that scarlet is my favorite color. Because it reminds me so very much of blood.
10: Yes. Oh, no. No. But this isn't true. It can't be true. Peter Craig is dead.
9: Yes, my dear. So he is. But you were Peter Craig. I was Peter Craig. Once upon a time. Now, I am merely an old man with a scarlet satchel.
10: What is in that satchel?
9: (laughs) I am just returning a gift, my dear. A gift? Oh, it was a most excellent jest, I know. But hardly becoming of so charming a person as yourself. What do you mean? Do you remember the modeling clay? Hmm. I see you do remember.
10: It was merely a joke. We sent it to you only in fun. We... And Mr. Willard and I... Oh,
9: yes, Mr. Willard. <laughs> well, I never did tell you how much I appreciated receiving a child's plaything from two such thoughtful people. But now I've come to return the gift.
10: Go away. You... You're some imposter, pretending to be Peter Craig. The real Peter Craig is dead and buried.
9: I am going, my dear. But I leave the gift with you. You'll find it there in the satchel. (laughs) You'll find its contents most interesting, I'm sure. And now, good night, my dear, and goodbye.
10: He's gone. It isn't true. Peter Craig is dead. That's why I'm buried. Oh, this is just a horrible dream. And yes, I, I wake up any minute now and... That's a scarlet. More scarlet now than it ever was. There on the floor where he left it. It's opening. Yes. Opening. And yet, there are no hands to do it. Something inside. Something is opening that satchel from the inside. What. What in the name of heaven is that thing? Oh, no. Stop. Stop, I tell you. Give
4: away. Give away the me. No.
7: Uh, Miss Esther was a friend of yours, Mr. Willard. Yes, she was. Mm. <laughs> that newspaper certainly gives a startling account of her death. Yes.
8: That was Esther was heard by neighboring tenants screaming hysterically. When investigators broke their way through a locked door, they found the nurse sprawled upon the floor of her living room. Both the girl's hands were clasped tightly to her face. Her eyes were staring blankly, wide with terror. Her last gasping words were, Scarlet Satchel. Terror-stricken girl undoubtedly died from fright.
7: Scarlet satchel. Yeah, sounds like a murder plot from Sherlock Holmes. Scarlet satchel. Just a minute, Professor. Mr. Willard, man, don't jump like that. Why you startled the life out of me? It's gone. Gone. What's gone? He kept it here in this closet. I remember when he bought it. Who bought what, Mr. Willard? What in heaven's name are you so excited about? The Scarlet Satchel. He always kept it here. Now it's gone. I still don't understand what connects. The cemetery.
2: That's it. We've got to go out to the cemetery. Come on, Professor White. We've got to go out there and see what's happened to the grave of Peter Craig.
7: God. Peter Craig's vault has been opened. Opened as though someone
8: inside had pushed up the coffin lid to escape.
9: That lid was heavy. Peter! Peter Craig! It was so difficult for an old man to push up so much weight. Peter, what on earth is, is the
7: explanation
9: of this? They told me you were dead and buried. Then for once, my good friend, they told the truth. Yes, she is dead. I saw him just after they found him. He'd been dead for hours. His heart had stopped. mortis had set in. Yes.
8: I was a perfect corpse. Peter. He was taken to the funeral parlor.
7: Embalmed. He lay in his coffin a day and a night before we buried him. Mr. Willard, there's no explanation. I saw them close the coffin on him. Saw them bring it out here. Watched them put it into
9: the vault and seal the door. And Rose Esther witnessed the same thing. That's... Why, I startled her so. You killed her. You killed Rose Esther. No, not I. She was killed by the thing in the scarlet satchel.
4: The scarlet satchel?
9: Professor White, look, he's carrying it now. There is one plan in the entire scheme of things mortal man does not know. That those who are mad at never rest easily within their graves until they have wrought a full and perfect vengeance. Man. They left me alone, alone in the darkness and stillness of a night, to die. They knew that my heart couldn't stand the shock. It was as much madder as if they'd stopped my heart with a dagger thrust. No, 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 I had nothing to do with that. You and your friend Miss Esther once thought it very hilarious. When you set your child's plaything to the mails, at the time I was not amused, Mister Willard. Now I am. The clay modelling set, exactly, Peter. Peter, man, what are you doing? The scarlet satchel. <laughs> He's opening it. I'm taking out my little pigmy fan,
7: Peter. That thing looks alive.
9: No, no, oh, no, stephie, it it's nothing but a little figure modelled in clay, just a little clay doll. It can't be human. Then watch it come to life. Peter, good heavens, it's moving, walking like a man. You see, I have put the muddling clay to good use. I have created with it your
2: damnation. No, no, keep it away from me. Don't let it come any closer. Keep it away, I say.
4: Don't let it touch me. Stop it. Keep that thing away from me. Don't let it touch me.
8: heard The Man with the Scarlet Satchel, the 16th original tale of dark fantasy by Scott Bishop. Ben Morris played Sam Willard, Fred Wayne was Peter Craig, Georgiana Cook took the part of Rose Esther, and Muir Height was heard as Professor White. Next Friday night at this time, listen to another startling and weird dark fantasy adventure, Superstition Be Hanged, written by Scott Bishop. Tom Paxton speaking. Dark fantasy originates each Friday night in the studios of WKY, Oklahoma City. This is the National
2: Broadcasting Company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dimension X, followed by Father Knows Best. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor.